Go ahead again and turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. If you're a guest, we want you to know we have been in the midst of a series, uh, really for the better part of our summer, um, Ephesians chapter 6. We've been revisiting the words of the Apostle Paul, um, where he shares with us tools that God has equipped every believer with in a fight that you and I are engaged in, whether we know it or not, against the spiritual enemy. Um, not only his presence in our world, but his influence in our world as well. Now, before I continue, I want to encourage everyone who has missed any or all of the parts of our series so far, you can go on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Braves with BFC is the, is the name of the channel. And on there, you will see all of our previous messages in the series that we've shared. You can go back and watch, listen, or even share content we've covered to date. But let's read together our text this morning, beginning with verse 10. We're going to read through verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so I want to quickly uh, quickly uh, re- review what we've talked about over this last several weeks before we dive into today's focus this morning. So for the last several weeks, we've covered each of these different elements of what Paul describes as the full armor of God. And what you describe or what you notice in the verses that we've read is that at no point does Paul suggest that we only need one or two of these items or we can get by with one. He he lists all of these items for us in full because he wants us to understand that these items all work in totality in equipping us to be able to engage the enemy and to overcome the enemy. Here's one thing you need to understand about God. God does not engage in a fight or God does not call us to engage in a fight and expect us to basically fend for ourselves in this fight. He does not call you and I to engage the enemy and then expect us to figure out how we're going to engage him or how we're going to defeat him. What we need to overcome the enemy, God has made available to us. Now, it is up to you and I to appropriate the things that God has made available to us. But at no point can we ever say that the enemy overcame me or that the enemy overwhelmed me because God did not prepare me. That is never going to be the case. God always gives us what we need to do what he's called us to do. But we have to choose to take on the tools and the equipment that he's provided so that we can be able to not only, as I said, engage the enemy, but better yet, overcome the enemy. And so what we've covered so far are these four elements of of six total um, parts of this full armor of God. We talked in the first week about the belt of truth. And in discussing the belt of truth, we learned that you and I are to seek God's view of truth, that truth is not what we define truth to be, it's not what culture defines truth to be, truth is what God defines it to be, and we must make sure that our lives and our worldview and our thinking and our, our response to the world and what, what, what the world does to us, all of it must be influenced by God's word. 
In week two, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. And in it, we learned that obedience is, 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 a, is a safety net that God has provided us as believers. Not, not to keep us in check, as it were, or as it were, to keep us controlled to where we can do what we, what we want to do, or we can go where we want to go. But that God provides parameters in our lives to protect us. And so when we obey His instructions, that obedience becomes a safety net to protect us. So that when the enemy tries to come at us, the enemy cannot overwhelm us. And then, of course, in week three, we talked about the feet, Paul says, that are fitted with readiness, the gospel of peace. In other words, we discovered that, that because we are in Christ, because we are believers, we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called to share the gospel. We have been called to share the impact that Christ has made on our lives. And because we are in Christ, we are in the position to do so. So we must always be looking for opportunities. No matter where we are, who we're with, or what we're doing, to, 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 to promote or to celebrate or to exalt Christ before others. And then, of course, the last week we were together, we talked about the shield of faith, which, which for us reminds us that Christ has to be our focus. One of, this, one of Satan's uh, you know, biggest tools or strategies to, to overwhelm or to, uh, to defeat believers is to take, us, take our focus off of Christ. Scripture, especially in the New Testament, reminds us over and over and over again in so many words to, to always keep our focus on Christ, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, to look to Him as our example for how we are to live and, 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 and who we are to become. And so, so knowing that Satan would try to, to deviate our focus off of Christ, we must determine that we're going to keep Christ always as our focus. And so that in doing so, he becomes that defense against the enemy. Today, I want us to turn our attention to the fifth tool in God's armor, which Paul refers to as the helmet of salvation. Everybody say with me, the helmet of salvation. Say again with me, the helmet of salvation. Now, in verse 17, and we're going to read that right now, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. And I'm going to stop right there because... He's going to refer in this verse to two elements. We're going to deal with the other element in a couple of Sundays. But in the first part of verse 17, Paul makes a very simple and yet to me a very deeply profound statement when he uses the words, take the helmet of salvation. Now, here's the thing. You look at that verse and you think on the surface it seems very simple, right? Okay, take the helmet of salvation. But here's the thing. I challenge you when it comes to reading the scriptures then never just simply accept what you see on the surface or what you just simply understand when you read a scripture. Dig deeper. There is, there is depth to the scriptures. Some of the shortest scriptures have the most profound truth you could ever come across. And we have to be willing to do the hard work of digging deeper to understand what was, what was the writer inspired by the Holy Spirit as he was writing these words, trying to communicate to me. And God, what is it that you want me to understand from these words? And so what I want to do is take you on a quick journey of deciphering these five words that Paul presents to us. Again, he says we are to take the helmet of salvation. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that he doesn't say put on, because that's what you would think he would be the, would be the language he would use when it, when it comes to a helmet, right? I mean, you don't just take a helmet, right? You, 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 you take it to put it on. But, but Paul says to us, we are to take the helmet. So I began to do some digging. I did this uh, two weeks ago, and I want to kind of take you through that again. And, and I do this to encourage you, you know, when you're studying your Bible, even though sometimes it may feel academic, it really is very helpful to understand what is the Greek, original Greek languages, 
um, interpretation of certain words that have been translated to the English that we read and we understand today. So when you look at the word take, the word take in the Greek actually means, or it's actually called dekomae, which means to take hold of something, to grasp something, or to seize something. So it's, it's simply more than just the act of picking something up. I, I, you know, I used this illustration with my daughter last night. I, I, I threw the remote control on the floor and, and I was telling her that, you know what? If I see the remote control on the ground, right? Um, I, you know, I, if I pick it up, more than likely I'm picking it up for a specific reason, right? I pick up the remote control because I want to use it to do what? Control the television, right? I don't pick up the remote control when I'm walking out the door, right? Um, I, I, you, know, you know, everything has a purpose, everything has function. So when Paul says you and I have to take the helmet of salvation, that word take refers to the act of acquiring something, taking possession of something. Why? Because we understand its purpose and its value. We identify that this item that we are encouraged to take or to grasp or to take possession of has a specific purpose. And so when we take it, we are taking it for that purpose for which it was created. All right. So Paul is saying to you and I that we are to take, in other words, possess, take ownership of um, this, this helmet of salvation. But it's not enough. We've still not gotten a full picture of what he's referring to. Not only does he now use the word take, but then he, takes, he tells us we have to take what he calls the helmet. Now, of course, you know, the word in Greek helmet is the same thing as the word we normally understand the, 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 the Greek word helmet to be today. But here's the thing. It's, it, it, it has a, not only a literal meaning in the sense of, of something that's used to protect a physical, you know, feet, you know, physically, you know, your head. You know, say for example, your kids are riding the bike and, and you wanted to wear the helmet so that this way if they fall, they don't hit their head against the ground. Or you see a motorcyclist and they're on their motorcycle on the highway. This is just me just, you know, just, you know, just being jealous whenever I see some of these guys riding, I'm thinking, Lord, I wish that was me. I mean, one, one of these days, if my wife, my wife allows me, I'm, I'm going to be a motorcycle myself. But, but, but most of these guys, right, they're wearing helmets, even though there are a few of them that don't wear helmets, and you're thinking, what is this guy doing, right? I mean, but, but the idea is that this helmet is meant to protect your head, right? So that this way, if you have a crash, you don't, you don't, you don't get hurt. I mean, of course, if you, if, you, if, you, if you get hurt, you know, this part of your body, it could be death, right? But there's a, there is a figurative meaning behind, behind um, the use of the word helmet in the scriptures. Not only is it talking about the literal protection of a head, but it also frequently talks about protecting our mind. So Paul is saying we are to take, we are to grasp what he refers to as this helmet, this, this tool of protection for our minds. But what is, what is the purpose of this helmet? And it has to do with that last word I want to focus on, where he talks about salvation. So, of course, when we hear the word salvation, we think immediately the gospel. We think, we think um, a, a person getting saved or the experience of coming to faith in Christ. But what Paul is referring to here is the message itself, the message of salvation. He's not talking about simply the experience of salvation, but he's talking about the message of salvation. So, when you look at this word helmet, it refers to a person's personal experience, not just a, a, a general experience of salvation, but your personal experience of salvation that came through, came through an encounter with the gospel that not only saw you being saved from sin's penalty, but now protected from sin's power. So, when you take these three words, take... Uh, helmet and salvation, where you merge these three concepts together, where you where you discover that Paul is doing it, is that he's inviting you and I to boldly take our stand against the devil's schemes by demonstrating our confidence in this gospel which has radically changed our own lives. 
One of my favorite movies is Gladiator. You know, Russell Crowe was the, was the lead character in this movie. And, and there were many scenes where he would be fighting others, uh, other gladiators in, the, in this arena. And, and, and most of the time, whenever these gladiators would fight, you notice that one of the last things that they would put on was what? A helmet. And they would put on this helmet, and in putting on this helmet, it was, to, it was in a sense signifying, I'm ready. I'm ready to engage the enemy. I'm ready to go to battle. I'm ready to go to war. Um, another movie that I enjoy watching is movie is a movie 300 uh, that depicts these these 300 um, Spartan warriors. And again, in that movie, the helmet was a big deal for these warriors. When they it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a piece of apparel that they wore every time. You know, they didn't wear when they were relaxing amongst themselves. But when it was time to go to battle, they made sure that they put that helmet on their head. And, and, and that helmet signified a sense of confidence that they had, not only in their training, in their experience, in their background, but a confidence that, if, that but, but, the, but the sense that even if they were going to give their lives on the field of battle, they were ready, they were willing, they were confident. And so I believe in the same way Paul is saying to you and I that because we are in Christ, because you and I are relation, have a relationship with Jesus, not only have we, as we talked about in previous weeks, been positioned because we are in Christ to engage the enemy and to overcome the enemy, but also there is a confidence that you and I can have as we engage the enemy, knowing that this is not our personal fight with the enemy. That when we fight against the enemy, that we are fighting on behalf of the Lord, that we are fighting in the strength of the Lord, we are fighting in His power. And so because we know this, we can engage Him with confidence. Why do you think when David stood up to Goliath, that he could do what he did. It wasn't because he wasn't he wasn't exuding confidence because he was a skilled warrior. I've mentioned this before, remember? David didn't engage Goliath because he was this skilled uh, soldier, had experience fighting giants. No. I mean, the, the young man had no experience in warfare whatsoever, but yet there was a confidence that he exuded that these seasoned words did not have. The, all of the experience could not give him this confidence that David had. And that confidence that David had was in the Lord. That's why he could go after Goliath, because he knew he was not in this fight on his own. This was not his battle. This was God's battle, and he knew that God was going to go with him. And so in a sense, as you and I are called to be salt and light in the world that we live in, surrounded by so much wickedness around us, and whereas it might be easy for us to say to ourselves, well, let me just sit on the sidelines and let God use somebody else to effect change in my culture, or to effect change in my world, then we recognize that because I am in Christ, that, that there is a confidence that I have, that because Christ is with me, there is nothing I cannot do for his name's sake. That I can go into any environment and, 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 and I can take Christ with me, with me into that environment and I can leave that environment different from the, the way I met it. We all have to have that confidence, friends, that because we are in Christ, we are positioned to make a difference in our world. And there has to be a personal buy-in. That's the thing. Every soldier that goes into, in, into, into battle, when they don that helmet, they are saying, I have, I, 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 I have a personal buy-in to the cause for which I am going to fight. And whether or not I come out of this battle alive or not, I believe in this cause so much that I'm willing to give everything for it. Every believer must demonstrate a personal buy-in to the cause of Christ. Why? Because of our experience of the gospel and the opportunity for the gospel's power to be expressed in our own lives. Personal bind is important because it is through a relationship with Jesus, friends, that we gain the confidence to engage the enemy. Listen, you cannot engage the enemy in your own strength, power, or mind. You can try, but you will fail. 
But we know that when we engage in the strength and power that comes with knowing Christ, nothing can overcome those who are for the Lord. So how do we demonstrate a personal buy-in to the cause of Christ? We get this sense of how to do so from Paul's words in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 17. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul begins by saying, and, and I, I would preface before I read verse 16, Paul says in verse 14 and verse 15, he talks about the fact that there's, there's this sense of obligation that he feels to both Greeks and to non-Greeks to preach the gospel, to bring the gospel to them. And it's not because Paul just feels like he, he just wants an audience to address. No, Paul says, and we're about to see this, that there's an experience that I have had of this gospel. And because this gospel has changed my life in such a radical way, I feel obligated to tell somebody else about this same gospel that has changed my life because I believe it can change their lives as well. So here's what Paul says in verse 16. He says, by, he begins by saying, I am not ashamed. Did you hear that? In those words, you can even you can even feel the passion in Paul's in Paul's words. I am not ashamed of what of the gospel. Paul says because it is not it may be or it might or I think he says it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Everybody say everyone. Paul says this gospel that has changed my life is a gospel that I believe can change everyone's life who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Why? Because in this gospel, Paul says that the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is, that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, that the righteous will what? Paul says will live. Everybody say live. Paul says the righteous will live by faith. So in these, in these verses, I want to share with you three ways that we can demonstrate a personal buy-in. Three requirements um, um, that, that are needed if you and I are to be able to confidently engage the enemy. Again, not in our own strength or power or might, but in the strength and power and might that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, and it's very simple. We need to be grounded, friends, in the knowledge of Christ's saving power. Salvation is more than just an experience to save you from going to hell. When you and I got saved, God's desire was that he would radically change our lives. I learned many years ago, I heard a preacher say that God loved me the way I am, but he loved me too much to leave me the same. God didn't just simply save me just just for an experience. He saved me so that he might change my life. And, and every single day, I must be grounded in the knowledge of what my salvation experience, what knowing Christ not only meant when I first gave my life to Christ all those many years ago, but what it means today and what it will mean tomorrow. Because here's the thing, God's desire in saving you and I is not, again, just so he can save us from some future destination that we desire to now go to, but that our lives might be today a witness to his saving power. This is part of why Paul was so eager to share the gospel. Because when you look at Paul's story, I mean, talk about somebody who was on the opposite spectrum of where God stood. And yet, Paul recognized that as opposed as he was vehemently to the gospel and as much damage as he tried to do to the cause of Christ, that God would still choose to not only save him, but also use him. And so Paul says, I feel obligated to share this good news with others. Why? Because I understand the incredible depth of this power that has changed my life. Do you, do you recognize the depth of, 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 of the salvation experience you've had? Do you recognize 
do you recognize how, 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 how important your salvation experience is? Again, not just so that you can go to heaven, but for today, for this season, for this time, for the people that are in your lives. Do you recognize that, that your, your salvation experience is so that God can work in you and work through you to demonstrate his power to others? You know, our Christian walk is not simply about being religious. It, there is so much more to the Christian faith than about being religious. We're not simply called to be busy religiously, friends. We're called to be, we're called to be, we're called to be advancing the cause of Christ, the kingdom of God. And so, so for us to be grounded in the knowledge of Christ's saving power, it, it requires that you and I be in the Word. And, and, and it can be something that we do because, because it's a chore or we do because we have to do it. We do because we recognize the value of being in the Word. We recognize the value of prayer. We recognize the value of, of, of meditating on the Scripture and allowing the Lord to, to speak to us. Well, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us in those areas of our lives where we need to change, where we need to grow, where we need to be. We, we, need, to, we need to get better. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Paul says to us that we, we must be grounded in the knowledge of Christ's saving power and allow that, that, that knowledge to transform us continually. First, here's the thing. When you gave your heart to Christ, however many years ago you may have done so, it was the beginning of a process of change. It is a process that continues to this very day. And until the day Christ comes back for us, it is a process that God desires to continue in our lives. The question is, are we going to allow him to do what he wants to do in us? Because every single day we must be submitted to him. Every single day we must choose to follow him. I love what, what David prayed in, in Psalm 51 when, when the prophet Nathan confronted him in his sin with Bathsheba. And, and the scripture tells us that David was remorseful. He, he was asking God to have mercy on him. And, and he recognized he had messed up and that he had offended God. One of the things that I, I hold on to was a, was a statement he made. He said, he said re, re, restore to me the joy of my salvation. David was essentially saying, God, I know what it is to, to, be, in a, to, be, to, to be so fully aware of, of who I am and who I'm becoming simply because I know you. And the change you brought in my life because I'm connected to you. I'm, I'm in union with you. And, and God, I never want to lose that, that, that appreciation. I never, wanna, I never want my Christian walk become, to become, um, 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 what, what's the word I'm trying to find here? To, to, to where it becomes something that I, I just do for the sake of doing. There are many who, who, are, who are in churches today who, who come to church because that's just what they're supposed to do. And, and there is, there is, they do it out of a sense of obligation, out of a sense of duty. And God says to us, go beyond that. Go beyond that sense of obligation or duty or feeling like you owe God. Do it because you want to. Do it because you desire more of God. And you want Him to, to enrich your life, to fill your life with more and more of Himself. Let that be our prayer every day. God, restore, renew, renew, renew within me a passion for you. Renew within me a joy for, for the change you've made in my life. And, and as I reflect on all the things that you've done, all the great things you've done, God, help me to desire more. Help me to never arrive or in my mind feel like I, there's nothing else that you need to do. Be grounded in your knowledge of Christ's saving power. But not only that, we must personally embrace the cost of following Christ. Jesus made it clear throughout his ministry that we are to count the cost. You know, we don't, you know choosing to follow him is, is, not a, is not a simple decision. Why? Because this flesh, this flesh always wants to be in control. And when you follow Jesus, again, it's more than just a praying a simple prayer, but you're making a commitment that you're, gonna, that you're going to live for God. That, you're, that you're, everything about your life is going to be about pleasing Him. And can I tell you, it is not easy. It is very hard. 
It is very hard to say no to your appetites and desires that you know are wrong and yet your flesh is screaming, feed me. It is very hard to resist. And we cannot resist on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to resist. It is a daily fight. It is a, it is a daily challenge. But we do so because we've embraced the cost. Paul talked about the fact that he was not ashamed. Why would he use the word ashamed? Why? Because he's trying to say to us that there are going to be situations where because you're associated with Christ, that there is shame attached to that. Not, not shame attached to it by God, but shame attached to it by the world. Because of the world's re- refusal to embrace or to accept what the gospel represents. And the fact of the matter is we live in a day and time where, where we're seeing more and more expressed in the world sentiment of the, the, the world sentiment uh, 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 you know, uh, desires and, 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 and uh, uh, focus a worldview that is, that is totally opposed to the will of God for our lives. And, and here's the thing, it can be easy for us to begin to feel intimidated in the sense that we are, or those who are committed to living for God are, it would seem, you know, more and more in the minority. But here's the reality, there are so many of us who are still for Christ, and we shouldn't allow the fact that we may, quote-unquote, seemingly, you know, embrace a, a worldview that is, that is not popular in culture to not allow us to discourage us from living for God. We must count the cost and be willing to say, I, even if I have to give my life up, I will do so. Because, because, because what this world will offer me is nothing compared to what I gain in Christ. This is part of why Paul was so radical in his mission. Because he said, listen, all I'm focused on is gaining Jesus. And so if, if it means I lose everything, fine. Everything else, I consider rubbish anyway. It is worthless to me. I would never, Paul is saying to us, give up gaining Christ for whatever it is that the world is going to offer me. Paul counted the cost. Every one of those disciples counted the cost. I mean, they faced ridicule, they faced scorn, they faced hardships. I mean, all, all of them except for John lost their lives. They were, they, were, they were brutally killed. And I can tell you that every one of these men, and, and as many believers throughout the ages, even to this very day, even in, even in 2022, there are still believers who are giving their lives for the sake of Christ. It's because they counted the cause. They understood that what I gained in Christ, it is so far better than what this world can ever give me. You know, there's a quote that I shared with you before. It's a, um, um, one of my favorite missionaries. He's since passed, uh, James Elliot. He made this, and he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When you choose to give up what this world is offering you, knowing that one day when you die, you're not taking what this world gives you with you, but you're willing to give up what the world offers you in exchange for what Christ will offer you, knowing that when you, when this life is over, friends, listen, you are, you are with Him and you get to enjoy the reward of following Him. That, that what this world gives us is nothing compared to what He offers us. Then, then you're able to embrace Christ fully and be confident in that fight. Again, the reason a soldier can go into a war front, knowing that, that there's a very good chance that he may not come back, is because they bought into that cause for which they're willing to give their lives. That's why in this country we celebrate our military so very much. Because it is a sacrifice for them to do what they do. Because we recognize that, that they're going into situations for which they have no guarantee that they're going to come out of. Yes? And so in the same way spiritually, Paul is saying to us that we have to, we have to, we have, we have to be so committed to the cause of Christ that we're willing to say, whatever it takes, I will do my part in helping to advance this cause. Why? Because I believe it so much. That was Paul's attitude. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm going to do what I need to do. Why? Because people matter. 
And because there's a gospel that can change their lives. And here's the last point I'm going to close with this. We are to resist passivity by resolving to live a faith that is proactive. And this is very, very important because it is very, very easy for us to have this mindset, again, of seeing Christianity as nothing more than just some religious activities or experiences. Friends, there is so much more to our faith. We're called to a living faith, a proactive faith, a faith that is that is seeking to engage, a faith that is seeking to grow, a faith that is seeking to develop, that is seeking to take back territory for the kingdom of God. And, and you and I are in environments, you know, Pastor Steve came up with this, he coined this phrase many, many years ago, maximum impact environment. And it's this idea that, that where you are, that job that you're in in this season, that school that you attend if you're a student, that neighborhood that you live in right now, those friends that you have in your life, that you're in every one of these positions, not because you happen to be in this particular school or you happen to work in this particular job or you happen to live in this particular neighborhood, but God put you there. God put you in that environment and he wants you to make a difference in that environment. He has given you the ability, the potential lies within you to make a difference in that environment. But here's the thing, we're not going to change our environment if we just sit in our hands and we're expecting somebody else to do all the work. When was the last time we asked God, God, how many of my neighbors here are not saved? And what can I do to begin to reach out to them, to begin to share the love of Christ with them? When was the last time we asked God, God, in that, in that work environment that sometimes I don't want to go to because it can be such a toxic environment, it can be such a demanding environment, God, but God, how can I make a difference in that environment? What kind of connections can I be able to build in that environment to where I can be able to share the love of Christ with someone that needs to know that, that God loves them? In my school, students, you walk the halls of your campus every single day. You don't know what the story is of those students that you're walking past. Every one of them may have a smile on their face, but you don't know what's going on in their world. When was the last time you asked God, God, point me in the direction of somebody so that I can, I can, I can reach out to them I can, and I can share the love of Christ with that student? We have to understand that our faith, this cause that you and I are called to, is not a passive, is not a passive walk. It is, it is one way we are called to be proactive. Why? Because God was proactive in engaging us. God didn't wait for you and I to get our act together before he engaged us. God came to us even while we were still sinners. And so we must have this mindset that the gospel, the cause of Christ, is not one where we just sit on our hands and we're only concerned about what we get. But now we're asking God, what, God, what can I do to, to add to what you're seeking to do in the world today? This is how we overcome wickedness, friends. We must, we must be proactive in our, in our Christian walk. And, and I challenge you on our way to heaven, God has called every single one of you. And, you, and you're a part of a very important mission. You're a part of a very important work that God is seeking to do in the world. In fact, I would dare say, friends, that there needs to be a greater sense of urgency because of the times that we're living in. There must be a, a greater sense of urgency for us to, to, to ask the Lord, God, how do you want me to make a difference because the time is short? Friends, Jesus could return at any moment. And, and, and there are people in our lives, in your, in your life and in my life, people that need to know Christ. And we need to be asking God, lead me by your spirit to, to the right connections to, 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 so that I can speak the, 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 a timely word. I can engage those around me that, that, that need to know that you love them. We must be proactive, friends. Again, Paul said we are to take this helmet of salvation, this experience that you and I have had, of the gospel chain in our lives, and we're to, we to take it on, we're to put it on, and we're to operate in it. Be confident. Be confident 
that God not only has given you what you need to engage your world, but because your life is a testimony to the power of the gospel, that is what the world needs to see. The world needs to see that Christ has made a difference in your life. You can't offer what you don't have. You can't challenge people to do what you're not doing yourself. And because you're in Christ, you've been given much. And because you've been given much, friends, there's great opportunities in front of all of us. Let's seize on those opportunities. And let's allow God to use us to effect change in our world. Amen? I want to invite you to buy with me this morning as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for the privilege that we have of just going through this this teaching by the Apostle Paul. We're looking at these different elements of the armor, the full armor of God. And God, I, I get excited, Lord, as we as we've been going through this series, just the insight and the understanding and revelation to help us to, to understand um, the depth of 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 the effectiveness of, of the tools that you've given to us and, and what it allows us to be able to do. Many times we put on ourselves this pressure that we're the ones that have to make it happen, that we're the ones that have to, we have to figure out how to, how to make a difference for you. And, and yet your word has shown us these last several weeks that God, you've given us everything that we need. That is, that it really is up to us to appropriate the tools you've made available to us. God, I pray, help us today, God. Help us every day to put on the full armor of God. Help us, Lord, when we go to work, when we, when, we, when we go to school, God, when we are in our community, when we are engaging our neighbors, our friends, when we are in the store. God, it doesn't matter where we are or, or who we're with or what we're doing, God, but help us, Lord, to, to, to be so burdened, Father God, by, 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 by the need of others because we're reminded of, of the difference the gospel has made in our own lives. That, God, we're asking, God, how can I be... Be, a, be an instrument that you would use to make a difference in someone's life today. God, maybe it's just it's just a, a simple word we speak, a timely word that, that reminds the person that, that they are loved, that, that they're not that they're not alone, that they can turn to you. God, maybe it is praying for someone who's going through a need and 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 Lord, seeing seeing your power demonstrated in their lives in answer to that prayer that was that was raised on their behalf. God, maybe, 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 it is, maybe it is sharing our own story of how you've changed our own lives and how you brought us through our own, our own struggles and our own hardships and how you've given us a hope that we hold on to and we look forward to its fulfillment in our lives. God, there's so many opportunities that are bound around us, Lord, and, and God, you want us, Lord, to, to take advantage of what you've given us to do what you've called us to do. God, help us, Lord. Help us to walk in confidence, that comes from knowing that because you've changed our lives, God, you can change someone else's life as well. And may we be tools that you would use, God, to bring this good news to bear to someone that needs to know, God, you love them. And that, God, you want to change their lives. 